0: Welcome to episode four of the Church Times Poetry Podcast for Lent, in association with Canterbury Press. This week, Mark Oakley reflects on the poem Winter Swans by Owen Shears. It's published in Shears' collection, Skirret Hill, published by Seren Books in 2005. Canon Mark Oakley is the Dean of St John's College, Cambridge. His book, The Splash of Words, published by Canterbury Press, won the 2019 Michael Ramsey Prize for Theological Writing. If you don't yet subscribe to The Church Times, you can try 10 issues for £10. Visit churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new reader. Winter Swans by Owen Shears The clouds had given their all, two days of rain and then a break... In which we walked, the waterlogged earth gulping for breath at our feet as we skirted the lake, silent and apart, until the swans came and stopped us with a show of tipping in unison. As if rolling weights down their bodies to their heads, they halved themselves in the dark water, icebergs of white feather, paused before returning again like boats writing in rough weather. They mate for life, you said, as they left, porcelain over the stilling water. I didn't reply, but as we moved on through the afternoon light, slow-stepping in the lake's shingle and sand, I noticed our hands that had, somehow swum the distance between us and folded one over the other like a pair of wings settling after flight. Of all the therapies I've tried, nothing has had the prolonged and positive impact that bird-watching has. These words are found in Joe Harkness's book Bird Therapy in which the author reflects on his mental health, including a breakdown in 2013, and of how various therapies helped him on a path of recovery. None of them, however, came close to the repair and healing that watching birds brought to him. He started to write a blog about it. Nature became a sort of service provider. Alive in its own agency, the great outdoors, invited him to unfurl out of himself and to attend to the miraculous reality of the creatures we share this earth with. This poem by Owen Shears shows how a relationship is affected by a casual but significant encounter with some swans. Swans have captured the human imagination for thousands of years and are to be found in a lot of mythologies, from Greek to Irish, Norse, and are also symbolic in various religious traditions. Being one of the largest birds able to fly, Hinduism reflects on how its environmental beauty connects the air and water through their flight and their swimming. Holy people are thought to be swan-like, in that just as the swan's feather is in the water and yet stays dry, so the good are in the world but remain unstained by it. In the Christian tradition, St Hugh of Lincoln is depicted in art as accompanied by the swan, said to have been fiercely loyal to him during his ministry, keeping away all his enemies. Every vicar should have one. Writers too have been drawn to the mysterious elegance of a bird that tends to mate for life. W.B. Yeats, Baudelaire, F.S. Flint, Stevie Smith are just a few of these poets. Seamus Heaney refers to the earthed lightning of a flock of swans, and it's hard to forget the haunting and evocative beginning to *Tithonus*, Tennyson's poem about the Prince of Troy who loved Eos, goddess of the dawn. The woods decay, the woods decay and fall. The vapours weep their burthen to the ground. Man comes and tills the field and lies beneath, and after many a summer dies the swan. Shears' poem is found in an elegant collection of his, entitled Skirrith Hill. Skirrith is a derivation of a Welsh word meaning divorce or separation. Many of his poems have a reflective sadness to them. They immerse themselves in countryside landscapes, passions, loved ones ageing and dying, the fractures of relationships and the dislocations of a heart discovering the loss of everything we'd learned. The poems do not flaunt themselves, though some readers think that they may occasionally try to overwork a little to keep us on an imperative road. They're always rooted in an appealing, pensive naturalism, evoking the passing moment the borders we live with in life and the ways we identify ourselves in around those borders. You feel that Shears is trying to distill himself through his experiences, showing, as he writes in another poem, the drawing back of the curtain to show the parts we've played, the previous scenes stacked in the wings and at the centre under the spotlight, the actor bowing as himself for the first time all night. When writers attribute human emotion to the non-human, it's usually to enable them to explore the inner experience of themselves or their characters. This poem, Winter Swans, opens with clouds having given their all in two days of rain. The poem reveals that the couple, who are now walking silent and apart, have probably been similarly spending all their energy in a fallout. You sense that all they have and are is near to being given up. A break comes, but is it to be a welcome pause or a final separation? The word can suggest either. The alliteration of the repeated W in which we walk leads us with a heavy trudge to the waterlogged earth, which underfoot sounds as if it's gulping for breath, rather like their relationship. They skirted the lake, and again the use of word skirted suggests that there is some emotional avoidance in their stroll. They are silent, but it isn't helping. They remain apart until the swans come and stop them. They stop walking, and the swans stop their paralysis. The couple watch the swans submerge their heads and necks in the water, tipping in unison, and see that they halve themselves in the dark water. Is it this that begins the healing in them? Do they see that by immersing their own relationship in an icy, drowning darkness, they each become halved, not complete in themselves? Are they to be a part or to be a part of each other? Placing icebergs and rough weather into the stanza, we feel the threats but also sense some hope of calm as the swans come back to the surface like boats righting themselves after a storm. Their silence is broken by the narrator's partner observing of the swans that they mate for life. This saying is usually interpreted as meaning that they pair up and stay together for their lifetime. Another translation here might be appropriate too. They mate in order to have or enjoy life. They mate for life. A relationship, though it passes through many seasons and takes many shapes as the years pass, is for the life of those who share it. The heavy and painful tortures that angry partners can impose on each other and themselves are on the other hand deathly and this perception glimpsed halfway through the poem is like the stilling water and the afternoon light although the narrator does not reply the couple moved on and we sense a new chapter taking hold in them one that might be careful kinder and therefore slow stepping Through shingle and sand. The poet notices that their hands have somehow swum the distance between us and are now holding on to each other. Their hands are folded and like a pair of wings settling after flight. The poem begins with the image of two separate individuals bruised and bruising. The last line in contrast speaks of a pair of wings. You can't fly with only one and lands us with a settling and intimation of a renewed commitment after flight. Flight, with its near spelling to fight, is perhaps what they have been doing in flight from each other through defensive destructions rather than seeking to draw close. Those with a religious belief are as human as everyone else. They live with the ebb and flow of the heart as well as the pain of what the past is up to in the present. And deep within the heart of Christian faith is the belief that human beings were made for relationship and that although many things work against this, past traumas, present stresses, future doubts, it's an elemental part of the human adventure to seek to place our relationships in good order integrated with honesty and freedom and mutual concern. These include the relationships between lovers and between friends, families, colleagues. It even includes people we haven't even met yet, those we call our neighbour, whom most faith traditions say we must love and attend to with kindness. We are not to hate our neighbour in the ways we can hate ourselves. That only leads to dangerous projecting, or a lashing out at them, the chaos within, creating animosity around. The heart of the human problem is always the problem of the human heart. In the Church of England marriage service, the vows that seal the new relationship promise that each will attend to the other with love, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. We know that relationships can end, just as we know that relationships sometimes should end because they are abusive or suffocating, not bringing any life but only hurt. However, it's clear that most of us need to spend more time and energy in repairing what's injured or torn in our various relationships, daring to be truthful, daring to be forgiving rather than treating one of the most miraculous marvels of being human, a life of shared existence, as a mere problem easily disposed of, like everything else. So often it is the raw moments of a life that bring us to our senses about all this. The hospital bed, a breakdown or a death. But for the couple in this poem it was the simple joy of watching some swans together on a winter's afternoon. To seek to repair love is as beautiful as it is costly and it is in the eyes of faith to reflect God. The scriptures tell us again and again that this is what God is doing each and every moment, holding out a hand to be held, restorative, tender, hopeful. God, said St. Gregory Nazianzus, is ever weaving good into the dark pattern, and sometimes swans come to his help.